Okay, everybody, excellent. So, and let me, uh, in regular Mythgard Academy style here, let me turn on my webcam too. Hi, yeah, so, uh, here I am. As you can see me at home as I become, uh, <clears throat> uh, increasingly animated uh, and hyped up throughout my day. So hi, welcome, welcome to this special session of the Mythgard Academy, um, uh, where we are doing our, our uh, special uh, class on the Father Christmas Letters. I have um, been uh, asked to do a session on the Father Christmas Letters for... Uh, forever well approximately annually uh, whenever we get into uh move into the christmas season people have always uh, been asking for this it's one of the reasons why it was in my mind when we were thinking about like you know can we do a special uh you know a special mythgard academies you know um uh class and uh i, I really was interested to do this one because i've had so many requests for it and i know it's the father christmas letters are never going to win an election because they're so short you know it's we, we're not going to really be able to sink our teeth into it for a full um uh, for a full uh, for a full course, so one day we're going to go through. There's a bunch of things that I want to look at. I the Father Christmas letters are really cool. Now the first things that we have to well, first of all, let me explain for those of you who don't know exactly exactly what this is. Um, what the Father Christmas letters are. It's not a book that Tolkien ever intended to be published. Now, of course, you could say that about like seventy-five percent of the books that have been published under Tol uh, over Tolkien's name here. Uh, in uh, you know, when you look at the total shelf, like the History of Middle Earth series, for instance, is chock full of stuff Tolkien never intended to publish in that form. But there's a difference between publishing an unfinished work that Tolkien was working up but didn't complete. Uh, publishing the earlier draft of a work which never really came to completion and never got polished up and the Father Christmas Letters. The Father Christmas Letters were never intended for a public audience at all. Um, this is n this is not something that he has done with any intended audience other than his own four children. Um, what happened was um, every year starting in 1920... Um, starting in 1920, of course, you know that, you know, many children write letters and send them off uh, to Father Christmas. And Tolkien apparently decided, wouldn't it be cool if Father Christmas wrote a letter back to his son, John, at the time in 1920. Um, and um, and so he wrote a letter to his son, John, from Father Christmas, um, including a picture. So we're, we're going to look at the letter and the picture uh, here in a second that he sent. And this became an annual tradition where they were... Um, uh, they were uh, they were sending out uh, they would send out letters to Father Christmas. Uh, he would always send them a letter back. Sometimes he sends them a letter in, like an advanced letter, um, like uh, in November, uh, late November usually, um, where he will send them a letter acknowledging the receipt of their letters. Right, I got your letters. Right, I, I I'm, you know I'm correlating the lists and stuff. Sometimes he gives a kind of teaser for what he the, the what he's going to tell them in the letter that they're going to receive on Christmas. Um, Sometimes the letter comes a little late. They they get they get their letter on Boxing Day sometimes, which is December twenty sixth. Um, and usually, of course, the letter contains an explanation for why the thing was delayed. Often the the it it, it wasn't able to be posted um, uh, on time or uh, or or whatever. So um, so anyway, th th this is uh, th this whole performance, this whole series um, is real. Was just between Tolkien and his kids. Um, this means, therefore. 
that we have to keep in mind that when we say the Father Christmas Letters was not, you know, intended for publication, it was not intended for publication in a different, in a more profound way than many of the, you know, previously unpublished uh, and sort of unfinished works of Tolkien. Um, the second thing that I find really cool um, about the Father Christmas Letters is that they couldn't be revised. Let me explain what I mean by that and why I think that is important. Tolkien's pattern, and you can see this pattern again and again, it's one of the reasons why he finished so few things and why so many of the stuff, so many of the things he started, he hasn't finished. Because what he does is he he starts writing, right, and he gets sort of part of the way through, and as he goes, his ideas are developing and changing, and he's beginning to see the story in new ways. It, it always kind of, you know, the story always grows in the telling, as he says. He'll get to a certain critical, either either a point where life intervenes, like the start of term or something he was working, you know, in the holidays and the term starts, or or just, you know, reaches a, a sort of a critical mass of these things, at you know, where he's, when he suddenly is like, no, I, 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 I you know, where I started in chapter one no longer fits where I am now. I, he, and so he goes back and he starts again. He doesn't, he can, he almost never can just go back and revise what he did. He always goes back, starts rewriting the chapter one and starts rewriting the whole thing. So you get this pattern where he's re, he's written the first few, you know, the first bits of it multiple times, but he never finishes and he never comes back and never, uh, and never finishes it, never finishes it again. So he was, he was a constant to use his own word, which of course he famously used for the protagonist in the short story. Tolkien was a great niggler, um, with his own work. But the Father Christmas letters are frozen in time, right? So when we look at the, fa- at the progression of the story in the Father Christmas letters, we are looking at the only work that Tolkien ever wrote, which he could not go back and change. He couldn't go back and revise it. He couldn't go back and be like, oh man, if I had 1920 to do all over again, I would do that so different. Maybe he thought that, but he couldn't do it, right? What we have is what he actually did. So that, I think, provides us a a, a really interesting way to look at... um, you know, the, the, the word I keep using is that the, the, the Father Christmas letters are frozen in time, which is, of course, an ironic word to use of the Father Christmas letters, as they're all about the North Pole. But, um, uh, but anyway, it's 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 one, it's another way in which I, there's so much that we can learn. And I, let me sort of also say, I know you're probably you guys are probably all like, oh man, he's supposed to fit this into a timed segment, and he's doing this really long preamble. I know. Bear with me. But anyhow, um, <laughs> one last point, and then we'll, then, then we will start slide one, um, is, um, there's so much that you could say just in sort of pointing out, uh, how charming and how lovely and how cool the individual stories are. Um, there's so much that you can, um, that you could, you know, and my interest in these, one of the things that I want to em- emphasize, because I think it's, 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 it's really cool, um, uh, as far as, are the application of it to our understanding of all of Tolkien's work. I'm going to be focusing on the kind of insight that the Father Christmas letters give us into the mind of Tolkien, the author. Okay. Um, and I know, you know, in some ways I feel like that's, uh, almost an inappropriate way to read the Father Christmas letters. I'm getting, you know, in that we're sort of losing a lot of the charm. And it's not, of course, my intention to strip it of charm. Um, but it is my goal to sort of, Look at the biggest picture uh, that we can, and just because, due to the peculiarities of the circumstances of the Father Christmas letters, I think they illustrate some of his own kind of tendencies. I think we can learn more about how stories develop in Tolkien's mind 
uh, from the, I think we learn more from, about that from the Father Christmas letters than we can uh, almost anywhere else. Even studying things like the history of the Lord of the Rings or the history of the Hobbit, where we're, you know, you're going through and looking at the, the drafts and the revisions and how he changes things. Um, all that stuff. Um, is great and very, very interesting. Um, but I think that we can learn even more in some ways from the Father Christmas letters, uh, or at least see it more clearly, um, than we can in other places. So, let's, um, let's, uh, let's go on and, let's go on and do this. Oh, I'm sorry, here I need to, uh, uh just realize there's one more thing I need to open up here, which is the PDF version of that, so that I can be looking at this. Okay. Sorry, it's one of the things about uh, Webathon uh, uh, episodes is that I am uh, uh, I'm doing a lot of my my back uh, stage prep on the fly here. Okay, so number one, 1920. Um, we start with the picture. By the way, I apologize. All of the, my images here these are these are just sort of fairly crude scans from my book. I hope that uh, you guys all have um, the the sort of the deluxe new edition with the wonderful plates. Um, and all of the, um, you know, the drawings that we get, you know, his, his paintings and the facsimiles of the handwritten letters that he did. These are just absolutely wonderful. And of course you can spend just hours poring over, um, all of what he's done. This is an absolutely gorgeous book. Um, and I, all I am doing is going to be, uh, working off of some very crude scans from the book. So just, just a sort of disclaimer there. Here's the picture that accompanies the first letter. So we've got Father Christmas and his bag of uh, his bag of presents, and here is his house up by the North Pole. I suspect this, the especially tall one here, of being the North Pole um, itself uh, in that in that uh, second picture. So we've got uh, me, my house, right? Our uh, our useful captions on on picture number one. Now, what I am most interested in here, look at the look at the letter that we get uh, uh, along with this picture. Christmas House, North Pole, 22nd December, 1920. Dear John, I heard you ask Daddy... So 22nd December is presumably when he wrote it, right? In order to send it out. I heard you ask Daddy what I was like and where I lived. I have drawn me and my house for you. Take care of the picture. I am just off now for Oxford with my bundle of toys. Some for you. Hope I shall arrive in time. The snow is very thick at the North Pole tonight. Your loving loving Father Christmas. Okay? There's the letter. It's the entirety of the letter. It's a very short letter, right? The thing that I would emphasize here, what I think that we can see when we look at the 1920, the very first of the Father Christmas letters, what Father Christmas was sending to John was not primarily a letter. It was primarily a picture, right? I heard you ask Daddy what I was like. I've drawn me and my house for you, and I'm sending you these pictures, right? This is what I am like. Um, the letter is like a mere cover letter for the picture. It just gives a description. It's, you know, here's just to, to make sure you know. But, and, of course, he provided the captions, me and my house, right? Um, but, you know, I drew this picture for you um, in response to your question. And uh, uh, and here it is. Now, you might say, but hang on a second. It does tell, I mean, of course, it's not a big narrative, right? But it does tell uh, some things, right? It serves as a little bit more than a cover letter in that it says, right, I am off just now for Oxford with my bundle of toys, some for you, hope I shall arrive in time. The snow is very thick at the North Pole tonight. Yes, except that's just a description of the picture, right? This seems to be more along the lines of an extended caption, 
right? You could almost say, like, this is me off just now for Oxford with my bundle of toys. Like, see, here's me and my bundle of toys, and I'm off, off for Oxford. And what do you see? The snow very thick at the North Pole tonight, right? So here he is. The snow is falling thickly, right, as he comes with his... In fact, the rest of the prose, which sounds like sort of the rest of his letter, is just a, descri- a sort of a more detailed prose description of the picture that he sent. So the first thing that we notice about the Father Christmas letters is that Father Christmas letter number one, anyway, is plainly a mere accompaniment to the picture. The picture is the thing, um, and the letter is off on the side. This is something that we can see holding true for a bunch of the earlier Father Christmas letters, even as the Father Christmas letters get longer and the stories get sort of more uh, more wild, right? Yet, nevertheless... I think we can still see the same pattern. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this here. Um, okay, all right. So here's uh, here's the 1928 picture. Um, uh, this is, uh, of course, North Polar Bear having fallen down. So take a careful look here. Um, so this is the interior of Father Christmas's house. We've got Father Christmas up here at the top of the stairs, the North Polar Bear down here at the bottom, the, the, uh, the presents strewn around everywhere. Um, we've got the, the, the images on the side. Um, right, we've got the caption up here at the top, uh, 1928, A Merry Christmas uh, from Father Christmas, right? Um, uh, the picture down here at the bottom of what looks to be the North Pole, Right with the, the sort of the radiance around here and the the the, sort of the Arctic landscape. Okay, um, so lovely picture, much more detailed. Right, a lot more going on, a, a much more active picture. Obviously, now here's from the letter accompanying it. What do you think the poor dear old bear has been and done this time? Nothing as bad as letting off all the lights. That happened previous year, right? Only fell from top to bottom of the main stairs on Thursday. And then, of course, we get uh, the, the, the wonderful, my favorite part of the Father Christmas letters are the interjections of North Polar Bear. Um, uh, uh, who'd left the soap on the stairs? Not me! We were beginning to get the first lot of parcels down out of the storerooms into the hall. Polar Bear would insist on taking an enormous pile on his head as well as lots in his arms. Bang, rumble, clatter, crash, awful moanings and growlings. I ran out onto the landing and saw he had fallen from top to bottom onto his nose, leaving a trail of balls, bundles, parcels, and things all the way down, and he had fallen on top and smashed of some and smashed them. I hope you got none of these by accident. I have drawn you a picture of it all. Polar Bear was rather grumpy at my drawing it. Of course, naturally. He says my Christmas pictures always make fun of him, and the one year, and that one year he will send one drawn by himself of me being idiotic. But of course I never am, and he can't draw well enough. Yes, I can. I drew the flag at the end. He joggled my arm and spoiled the little picture at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the moon laughing and the polar bear shaking his fist at it. Um, so okay, notice what we get here, right? Um, like the first one. Now, again, it would seem on the one hand that this is very different from the first letter, right? We're getting this whole narrative, right? What do you think the poor old bear has been and done this time? I'm going to tell you the story of this thing that happened. Except, of course, the thing that happened, it's just background to understand the picture, right? And in fact, much of it is more is really just sort of to make this picture come alive. 
even to the sound effects, right? The, the, what do we get? Bang, rumble, clatter, crash, right? We can see the bang, rumble, clatter, crash. Father Christmas, right? Running out into the, you know, he's, he's a, what's he, a ran? I ran out onto the landing, right? And he's fallen on, smashed on some of the packages. Every detail of what he says in the letter is depicted here. And again, I would, uh, the correlation between the picture and the prose is so close that it's, 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 I mean, it seems silly to say, obviously they go together, plainly they go together, but I would argue, like the first one, it is, it, it seems to me very, very likely the picture came first and the story is serving as a kind of gloss on the picture, right? Here's how to understand this picture. Here is not the backstory exactly, but here is what happened before and after. This is to enable you to reanimate this whole scene in your head. Um, but it's not in that sense an independent story. It's a reanimation of the, um, it's, it's, it's again, it's sort of helping them to animate, uh, this, uh, this, this, uh, the, this moment, this image, um, in their minds. Um, uh, and, um, even down to, you know, the stuff about him going out and shaking his fist at the moon is in another little detail picture, um, that we see, you know, I get that also is just another prose description of one of the other pictures, um, that he has, that he has made. If we go on here, um, when he had picked himself up, he ran out of doors and we, and couldn't help, uh, couldn't help clear up because I sat on the chairs and laughed as soon as I found out there was not much damage done. That is why the moon smiled. But the part showing polar bear angry was cut off because he smudged it. Right? So we even have here note an explanation, not just an explanation of what's in the picture, but an explanation of what's not in the picture. Right? And why there's a smudge there. Right? We get the story behind the smudge. Right, But anyway, I thought you would like a picture of the inside of my big new house for a change. The chief hall is under the largest dome, where we pile the presents, usually, ready to load on the sleighs at the doors. Polar Bear and, and I built it nearly all ourselves and laid all the blue and mauve tiles. The banister and the roof are not quite straight. Not my fault. Father Christmas did the banisters. And by the way, I love that. Right? It's not that... Sorry. Actually, I go this way. It's not that, um, it's not that the drawing isn't quite, quite straight. Right? It's not that, oh, sorry I failed to draw perfectly straight lines. It's a faithful representation of the fact that Father Christmas's house isn't made really quite straight because, uh, because Father Christmas and North Polar Bear are not the most professional house building contractors in the world, right? Um, so again, notice the whole, all of these details of the story being fleshed out to explain elements, even very subtle elements like smudges and, and, and unstraight lines in the pictures. These are the details which lead me to conclude this is not a picture drawn to illustrate this story that he had written. This is a story that is written to explain the picture that he had drawn. Again, the pictures came first. That seems really, really clear. Um, but it doesn't really matter. I painted pictures on the walls of the trees and the stars. Okay, so this is Father Christmas's work down here, right? Um, and suns and moons. Then I said to Polar Bear, I shall leave the, f uh, sorry, let me, uh, let me, let me go back here. I shall leave the freeze, F-R-I-E-Z-E, -E, to you. And he said, I should have thought there was enough freeze outside and your colors inside, all purpley, grayy, bluey, pale, greeny, are cold enough too. I said, don't be a silly bear. Do your best. There's a good old polar. And what a result. 
icicles all round the hall to make a freeze, F-R-E-E-Z-E. He can't spell very well. And fearful bright color to make a warm freeze. So this is the warm freeze, right? We've got icicles and we've got, I think that, you know, the red and the green there are the, the warm freeze that we have in the part of the room where an F-R-I-E-Z-E would be painted. Um, uh, and of course, I, I think it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, the, the word freeze with an I is a slightly unusual word for young children. Um, so we have the, uh, the, the plain spelling out uh, of the pun uh, that's being made here uh, in the course of this letter. Um, so, but again, I, 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 the, the, the overall point here, again, that I would make, I think that we can clearly see in these early Father Christmas letters that the picture comes first. Now, why is that important? I think that we have evidence that this is fundamentally how Tolkien works. Um, you've seen, doubtless, many of his paintings, many of the pictures that he gives uh, to illustrate um, his works. But... I actually, uh, it, it is not always true, of course, that those paintings are, that, that he painted those images prior to writing the text. That's not always true. Um, but the sort of the generalization that I would made, that I would make from this, is that it does seem very clear to me that Tolkien does write stories this way. Um, that many of Tolkien's stories, many elements of Tolkien's stories, begin with a picture, begin with a visual image in his mind, a visual image which he often at attempts to capture uh, um, in in with with paint or with ink um, in a drawing, um, and then he describes it. Think about the the way, the, sort of the peculiarities of Tolkien's own style. There are many people who have commented, often not very. Um, uh, flatteringly about Tolkien's style and his very persistent use of um, of landscape description, right? I mean, there's a, 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 a sort of unwieldy percentage of the Lord of the Rings is dedicated to the description of landscape, right? Why? And lots of people complain about this, but why is that? Why does he do that all the time? Why do we get all these description of the plants that we see in Athelion, right? Why does he spend... And again, I think it is because just as we get all of these details about the painting on the walls and the non-straight lines and the smudges and things in this Father Christmas letter, um, I think that we can see in these moments in his larger stories, such as The Lord of the Rings, ways in which his um, his imagination is being rooted in these visual pictures that he has in his own head um, and that he is sort of uh, that he is sort of working them out. Um, Curtis Wendt is uh, 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 talking, of uh, of course, about um, uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, short essay, It All Began with a Picture. And yes, Lewis describes his own creative process in a very similar way. He doesn't... Um, his is a little bit, in a sense, more fanciful. That is, just to, to give the fuller context, C.S. Lewis said that the, that the, the, the line that's in the wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, began basically with two images. Um, one was the image of Mr. Tumnus. So that, uh, that the sort of, you know, the famous scene of the fawn with the umbrella and the parcels in his arm in the snow, right? This picture just came to Lewis. Uh, the picture of the fawn with the umbrella, parcels, snow. And he's, he didn't know the story, right? Um, the other image was the image of a, of a, of a huge and radiant lion. And basically, 
Lewis describes sort of his job as storyteller was to sort of figure out what the story was, right? Okay, I have this picture of a fawn in the snow. What's the fawn doing in the snow? Why is there a fawn in the snow with an umbrella? Um, what's the story behind there? Um, and um, I, I think that... I, I don't know that I would necessarily go so far. We don't have many clear examples of Tolkien thinking in exactly that way. That is to say that the actual sort of characters and narrative elements came to him. With Tolkien, it seems more about scene. It seems more about the world, I guess I would say, than about sort of characters or plot moments in the, you know, Mr. Tumnus sense there. Um, and Sharon Hoff, of course, is reminding us of, of Leaf by Niggle uh, and the way in which Niggle as a painter is described as doing sort of similar things. Um, of course, with Niggle, it's challenging, right? Because on the one hand, uh, Niggle in Leaf by Niggle is a metaphor, right? I mean, Niggle as painter is sort of an allegory of Tolkien as Arthur, as author, sorry, not as King Arthur. That's a different work. Um, uh, and if anyone objects to my saying that it's an allegory, um, well, it is. I know Tolkien says he didn't like allegory, but he used it in Leaf by Niggle as one of his most overtly allegorical uh, uh, works. Um, and if you want to fight about that later on, we can totally do that, I guess. But uh, uh, but I think that's but I think that's pretty clear. Anyway, whatever. Point is, um, in Niggle, in his description of Niggle trying to capture things, right? Um, I think that that's actually there are elements of the Niggle description which are not even metaphorical, right? We see him in his own um, paintings, in his own artwork, uh, trying to capture this picture that this the way that these images appear in his head, the the uh, the you know the birds that come to rest on some of the branches of the tree and need to be attended to, as the phrase that he uses, right? Um, anyway, so um, I think that that's. Um, uh, that's a, a, a really um, an important trend, an important thing to understand. And I think a lot of people don't. People know that Tolkien drew. People knew that Tolkien did illustrations. Um, but I think that a lot of people don't really understand the extent to which um, Tolkien's imagination is rooted in, um, in, in visuals uh, and, in his, and, and, and in a sense connected in this way uh, with his visual art. Uh, even, um, but uh, let me uh, let me pause here uh, for a little bit, Trish. We can do a we we can do an interruption now. I think this would be a decent place to uh, to interrupt if you wanted to. Here I come. Okay, here right. I am. Excellent. Here you are. Um, so now I shared a Google Doc with you, but I'm not sure how easy that's going to be for you. So how about if you share? Let me share my screen. And I'll show the um, prize. Do you want to do a prize? Prizes, yeah. I mean, I was yeah doing here, prizes, I, will, I will make you the presenter. Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. And I wanted to show everybody, um, in my strange way, what we have as a choice. So, also shut our prize that we're going to do now, and also, if you would, I didn't do the number. I didn't draw the winner yet. So, if you would do that while I'm showing this, that would be very efficient, wouldn't it? Okay. Wouldn't it? Sure. Um, so the first choice, so there's choice of three things here. If you don't already have letters from Father Christmas, this is your chance to to score this. So this is one choice, okay? Now bear with me while I go back and forth. Um, to Oops. Oh, and there's my kitty. All right. That was good. Um, 
And then I want to show you the second choice is this very cool, something to do with the family. Buddha is really excited about this one. It's a, it's a, it's a um, jigsaw puzzle, 500-piece jigsaw puzzle of Father Christmas. Um, and that is choice number three, something that the family could do over the holidays. And then the third prize, which is probably really the best prize of all, is a polar bear hand puppet, polar bear cub hand puppet. So those are our choices of your prizes. All right. I can go back through those again if you'd like. I think. I believe I can. Where did they go? Oh, here they are. Okay, so we have Letters from Father's Christmas. We have the puzzle. And we have the polar bear puppet. And our winner is... Kimberly Kunker. Our winner is Kimberly Kunker. Okay. Congratulations, Kimberly. So all you need to do is send an email to info at signumuniversity.org. That's info at signumuniversity.org. <laughs> My best announcer voice. Let us know which you want and also your mailing address because obviously we're going to be sending these from Amazon. So we'll send them straight to you from Amazon. Congratulations. So this is for all of you now that are listening. These are our three choices. The choices aren't going to change. So just keep in mind that if you end up getting drawn during one of our prize drawings, these will be your choices. Okay, so now I'm going to go back to the uh, regular schedule program and uh, and give you my screen. Ah, I have this cat that's doing its thing here. Hold on. <laughs> Make you the presenter. All right. And do we have any update on um, on on the main reason we're here today, which is the donation levels? Uh, yes, yes, we do. So I, I mean, was, I was just doing that. You're math. an amazing multitasker. <laughs> I, am, I am doing some frantic multitasking here, and uh, yes, I have. Uh, we uh, we are now up to thirty one thousand two hundred and thirty eight. Oh, that's that awesome! Wonderful. That's awesome. Keep the cards and letters coming in. Keep the dollars and cents coming in, folks. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, that's great. That's great. And I, I actually want to thank all of you. I know I do this every time we're up here doing prizes, but thank all of you for your generosity because this really makes – you would not believe the difference it makes. Yes. Um, so it's really great. Okay. So I don't think there's anything else we need to do this break, right? I will retire into the background, which is not usual for me, but, you know, I'll give, my, give it my best <laughs> shot. All right. Okay. Um, well, let's look at how things develop uh, over the course of the Father Christmas letters here. Um, uh, so uh, moving forward just to just to the next year, uh, he begins to kind of gain some momentum. And not uh, not unlike the momentum that North Polar Bear uh, gains tumbling down the stairs. Um, he says, It's a good thing clocks don't tell the same time all over the world, or I should never get round. Although when my magic is strongest, at Christmas, I can do about a thousand stockings a minute, if I have it all planned out beforehand. You could hardly guess the enormous piles of lists I make out. I seldom get them mixed. But I'm rather worried this year. In my office and packing room, the polar bear reads out names while I copy them down. We had awful gales here, worse than you did, tearing clouds of snow to a million tatters, screaming like demons, burying my house almost up to the roofs. Just at the worst, the polar bear said it was stuffy and opened a north window before I could stop him. You can guess the result. The north polar bear was buried in papers and lists, but that did not stop him laughing. And uh, so notice here, this is the picture, of course, that accompanies the 1929 letter. Um, and the thing that I think is 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 really interesting here, of course, this is the first time we get this sort of multiple stage uh, picture 
right? Here's the polar bear and Father Christmas busily at work at his desk with the piles of pictures and the window closed, though snowing heavily outside. And then here, of course, is the window open and the wind blowing things everywhere and poor Father Christmas chasing after his hat and the North Polar Bear rolling around in laughter. Again, we find that the uh, the the letter is primarily a narrative description of the of the picture, All, and and there are things which there are things in the picture which you know basically the the the, the pictures couldn't really be understood without it. Now, notice how this is kind of shifting, right? The story and the pictures are forming a kind of more symbiotic relationship, in a sense, uh, by this time. And if we look back at the previous pictures we've looked at, of course, the, uh, the, the 1920 picture, this could stand on its own. It practically did stand on itself, and with only a tiny little commentary um, to kind of help uh, John sort of invest, you know, his imagination in it a little bit more to think, again, it's not just, it's not just Father Christmas. It's Father Christmas setting out your presents are in that pack, right? It's really cool. Um, here we have a much bigger picture, but it's a picture that can still be understood on its own. I mean, if you didn't have us have the narrative, you could still figure out what's going on here, right? It's still, it's still, it's still pretty clear. He was carrying these parcels, which are probably presents, and he fell down the stairs and these all got scattered. And this is somebody, Father Christmas, at the top of the stairs running out and saying, what happened? Right? We could, we could, we could work that out uh, without the help of the story, though, of course, the story adds lots of details. And, of course, uh, North Polar Bear's own commentary. In this one, I don't think we could. I think if we just had these pictures, um, it would not at all be obvious what had happened. We certainly wouldn't know, for instance, that it was the North Polar Bear who opened the uh, the window. So again, notice how, in a sense, now the story, though it's still doing description of the uh, of the of the of the picture. The picture is still, in a sense, primary, but now there's a more, as I say, a more symbiotic relationship. The story is kind of adding more um, to um, uh, to the to the story. Look at in the next year. Aren't you glad that polar bear is better? We had a party of snowboys, sons of the snowmen, which are the only sort of people that live near. Not, of course, men made of snow, though my gardener, who is the oldest of all the snowmen, sometimes draws a picture of a made snowman instead of writing his name, and polar cubs, the polar bear's nephews, on Saturday as soon as he felt well enough. He didn't eat much tea, but when the big cracker went off after, he threw away his rug and leaped in the air and has been well ever since. I've drawn you pictures of everything that happened. Polar Bear telling a story of all the teeth after all the tea things had been cleared away, me finding Polar Bear in the snow, and Polar Bear sitting with his feet in hot mustard and water to stop him shivering. It didn't, and he sneezed so terribly he blew five candles out. And of course, the pictures all show exactly these things as he just described, the sitting at tea and Polar Bear telling a story, finding Polar Bear in the snow, Polar Bear sitting with his feet in, wrapped up with his feet in, in, in the hot mustard, and then Polar Bear throwing off his rug, and uh, while the cracker is go is going off. Um, so again, we notice how this has uh, this has shifted to a more almost comic strip approach to telling the story, right? Where we're getting the difference, and the story it's still kind of serving the the written story is still sort of serving as a caption, but you know it's less obvious, a good deal less obvious in these pictures that the picture is driving the story. These begin to look like illustrations of the story that he's telling, especially things like, like I kind of don't believe that 
this picture of the North Polar Bear wrapped up with his feet in hot mustard came first, right? That Tolkien was sitting there and it's like, I have a picture of a polar bear with his feet in mustard. You know, what is this? No, I don't think that happened. I think that these are these are actually images that he drew up to illustrate the story. We're beginning to see over time the shift as the story, which initially comes out, of, emerges out of these images, now is taking on a life of its own and is beginning to drive the pictures themselves. And as we continue into 1932, we see this even more clearly. This is the picture from 1932. This isn't even a story, right? We get a picture of Oxford, right, with uh, Father Christmas coming in. Um, uh, he even mentions where their house is uh, in this picture, right? Um, where their house would be, where 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 Northmore Road is, or North Pole Road, as the North Polar Bear sometimes calls it. Um, th- this is, of course, this the 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 really long story year where Father Christmas goes down into the Goblin Caves and finds all the the, the carvings and stuff. This is a mere illustration. I say mirror. It's really great, right? This is cool. But if you just got this picture, you know, again, think back to 1928 with Polar Bear falling down the stairs. If you just had that picture, you could work out the rest. You wouldn't know the cool, fun details about, like, which of them painted which thing, right? You wouldn't get all that uh, that cool depth, but but you'd be able to get the whole story. You can't get even a fraction of the story. Why is he in a cave? What are those things on the walls? Why is he in the cave in the first place? Who's this thing that looks like a dachshund down here next to him? Um, why are they dancing around? Why, you know, why is North Polar Bear, who looks really thin and trim this year, uh, uh, why is he doing this dance in the middle of the, I don't, you know, there's no, there's nothing to understand here. There isn't really, uh, there isn't really a story. Um, in this picture at all. Now it is a mere illustration. And in fact, what's, we get more, right? We get, um, sorry, I think the date is wrong. I think it's supposed to be 32. Um, uh, we get the, the transcript, the careful transcription of the cave paintings. This is just a supplement. Again, this isn't driving the story. This is a supplement for the story in the same way that including Thorin's map in The Hobbit is a supplement for the story. And we know that Tolkien loved to include these kinds of visual artifacts. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, some of you might not know the fact that with the, cha- the, the Book of Mazarbo, Tolkien spent an enormous amount of time drawing and coloring a gorgeous facsimile edition of the Book of Mazarbo, with it being slashed and stabbed and partly burned and stained with old blood in some places, and it was multicolor, and it was absolutely beautiful, and he wanted the publisher to include it um, in the Lord of, in the, the Fellowship of the Ring. It didn't get included because it was too difficult to reproduce, and the colors were difficult, and I don't think it's ever been reproduced in, uh, in any of... I've seen them. Um, I got to see them in New York a couple years ago. There was a display a sort of a traveling display um, from Marquette, um, of uh, uh, which is where, of course, all of Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit papers are at, at Marquette University. But um, but anyway, I saw I saw his original drawings of the Book of Miserable. Gorgeous, beautiful stuff. And um, uh, so um, anyway, it's 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 very cool. He liked to do this, right? He liked to have visual, but that's it's it's supplemental material, right? It's 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 not the story emerged out of that. The story didn't emerge out of these cave paintings, right? These are the faithful. Notice notice the polar bear, right? Looks very different from the North Polar Bear, 
that we see in the pictures, right? In that it actually looks like a bear. Uh, notice that the North Polar Bear makes a snarky comment about this, right? It was nice to see some decently drawn bears for a change, right? Um, but, um, but anyway, uh, this is, uh, we have seen how things have shifted and turned around now. Now it's no longer the pictures driving the story. Now the story has taken on a life of itself, um, and is driving, um, and is driving the, the, the pictures. And that seems to me to be, again, the very indicative, very typical of the way that Tolkien storytelling worked. Once the thing developed a life of its, it often emerged from these, from pictures that also, I believe, often emerged from poems. Um, but once it gets a life of its own, it takes off and it often drags these things, pictures and poems along with it now, um, not in the original role that, um, that they that they had um let's look at um let's look at and thinking about the forgetting the pictures for a minute let's go back and look at the story again a little bit more and thinking about the development of the story here's from 1923 his letter to john in 1923 my dear john it is very cold today and my hand is very shaky i am 1924 no seven years old on christmas day lots older than your great-grandfather so i can't stop the pen wobbling but i hear that you are getting so good at reading that i expect you will be able to read my letter this again is why where i uh, uh endorse this people have asked what's the best edition this is the i think the best edition because every letter is given in facsimile as well as in transcription um so you can actually see i'll do the i'll do the tom shippy thing and hold it up to the webcam you can see his actual handwritten letter um which in, in almost every single one of them is just a gorgeous carefully done artifact um he the, it even gives facsimiles of the envelopes that he put them in, uh, because he usually drew a, uh, a, a, a North Pole stamp, right? Um, and postmark, um, you know, as, uh, like the chimney post postmark there, right? Um, so anyway, th th this edition is just fabulous because of, uh, because you can get it all in facsimile. So it's, uh, super cool. Anyway, um, Oh, great, yes, of course. Harold Johnson is reminding me that the Book of Miserable Pages are reproduced in full color in the 50th anniversary edition of The Lord of the Rings. Excellent, yes, I had forgotten about that. Thank you, Harold. Um, anyway, okay, but now let's go back to the text of the letters. Okay, so, so, and, and, but, oh, yeah, that's right, I now remember why I digressed. Uh, the shaky handwriting. In the facsimile letters, you can see Tolkien has actually made his letters, like, all shaky and, 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 and wavy all the way through, uh, to imitate the aged hand of Father Christmas, um, and, uh, and often the extreme cold of the North Pole, as he's often shivering, uh, when he's writing the letter. Uh, anyway, okay. I send you lots of love, and lots for Michael, too, and lots bricks, too which are called that because there are lots more for you to have next year if you let me know in good time. I think they are prettier and stronger and tidier than pick bricks so I hope you will like them. Now I must go. It is a lovely fine night, and I have got hundreds of miles to go before morning. There is such a lot to do. Okay, so you re a cold kiss from Father Nicholas Christmas. Um, so you'll remember from letter number one, uh, it was the first one was just like a cover letter of the picture, right? You asked what I looked like and where I lived, and so here's a picture that shows to you. These early letters, um, uh, these early letters are very, um, uh, are 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 very simple, non-narrative, generally. Right. We haven't really developed stories. We don't tell that many ongoing stories. There's a lot of this kind of stuff 
in the early letters where he's just sort of talking. It's 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 business, right? It's friendly, but it's business. Um, he's talking about he's talking about uh, he's talking about the presence, right? This is a this is not a cover letter of a picture. It's a cover letter of the 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 bricks, right? The the set of blocks that they got for uh, for 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 Christmas, and that's what he's talking about, right? And we see, of course, this is a theme through the Father Christmas letters. Um, it, when it comes down to it, this is often the kind of background that we get, right? So like in 1925, I'm dreadfully busy this year. It makes my hand more shaky than ever when I think of it, and not very rich. In fact, awful things have been happening, and some of the presents have got spoilt, and I haven't got the North Polar Bear to help me, and I've had to move house just before Christmas, so you can imagine what a state everything is in, and you will see why I have a new address, and why I can only write one letter between you both. It all happened like this. One very windy day last November, my hood blew off and went and stuck on the top of the North Pole. I told him not to, but the North Polar Bear climbed up to the thin top to get it down, and he did. The pole broke in the middle and fell on the roof of my house. And the North Polar Bear fell through the hole he made into the dining room with my hood over his nose, and all the snow fell into the roof of the house and melted and put out all the fires and ran down into the cellars where I was collecting this year's presents, and the North Polar Bear's leg got broken. He is well again now, but I was so cross with him that he says he won't try to help me again. I expect his temper is hurt and will be mended by next Christmas. Now, this is one of the first stories that we get, right? The first pieces of real, like, legitimate narrative that we get in the Father Christmas letters. One thing I would point out, go back and look at the picture for this year, and you will see, again, he's doing a gloss on the... It's, it's, it's pretty clear to me that the picture came first with this one, too. Especially that detail of Father Christmas's hat on the nose of the North Polar Bear as he's falling in. We see it all looking exactly like that in the picture, and I, I feel confident that the picture came first and he's doing a prose description of what he has already painted. But, notice the context of all of this. Why has he told a story? What has What is the driver of this narrative. Why did he, why has he made a shift from, hi, this is Father Christmas, writing back to you, John, you've written to me asking, making your requests for presents, and I'm writing you back to tell you that I'm on your way to deliver you presents, 1920, I'm on my way to, I I was, I I have, I hear I have these particular bricks that I bought for you, that I got for, didn't buy, that I made for you, instead of these other kinds of bricks, I think they're superior to these other kind of bricks, that's why I gave you this kind instead of that. Why is he telling the story? Because he has an explanation, right? The explanation is there aren't very many presents this year, right? Uh, there is that most of the things they've asked for they haven't gotten, and the presents are kind of few on the ground, right? The uh, underneath the tree is a little bear in the Tolkien household this year, so we get an explanation for why that is. Father Christmas is giving this whole story. It all happened like this, right? This is why he he, he says, I, I've got to give an explanation um, to explain what a state everything is in, why, I've ha- why I have a new address, and why I can only write one letter to you both. He's not very rich, right? Awful things have been happening, and some of the presents have got spoiled. So you might, there might have been some, some, some better presents, right? Uh, um, but sadly, a lot of the presents got destroyed with the whole house catastrophe from North Polar Bear, right? So we see what's driving this narrative is sort of explanation. Now, this kind of, um, this shifts 
as we go through. In fact, as the story uh, begins to grow and kind of take over, it ceases to be like, I need to come up with a story in order to sort of explain uh, why there aren't so many presents this year. Um, we see him, for instance, in 1931, just a couple years later. And 1931 is one of the longer story years that we were looking at before, not one of the really epic story years. Um, but uh, But still, we're getting into much more significant stories now. He says, I hope you will like the little things I have sent you. You seem to be most interested in railways just now, so I am sending you most things of that sort. I send as much love as ever, in fact more. We have both, the old polar bear and I, enjoyed having so many nice letters from you and your pets. That, that is like their stuffed animals and things have sent them letters and stuff. If you think we have not read them, you are wrong. But if you find that not many of the things you asked for have come, and not and perhaps and not perhaps quite as many as sometimes, remember that this Christmas, all over the world, there are a terrible number of poor and starving people. I, and also my green brother, have had to do some collecting of food and clothes and toys, too, for the children whose fathers and mothers and friends cannot give them anything, and sometimes not even dinner. I know yours won't forget you. So, my dears, I hope you will be happy this Christmas and not quarrel, and will have some good games with your railway altogether. Don't forget old Father Christmas when you light your tree. Um, so, uh, um, uh, so you'll notice he's doing the same thing, right? But he's not apologetic about it, right? And nor does he incorporate it into the whole main story, right? Now, the story and the excuse, right, which sort of were born together, they're splitting, too. So yet again, we see the story kind of getting a life of its own, leaving behind the picture, you know, sort of leaving behind and dragging along behind it the, the, the pictures from which it grew, um, leaving behind the, ex, you know, sort of the occasion, that is the excuse about the presence, uh, which prompted it, uh, and, uh, and, and really kind of becoming its own thing. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, notice how when we talk about it getting a getting a getting a life. Oh, Sarah Lagarde, thank you for pointing that out. Sarah Lagarde says she loves how the North Polar Bear inserts his humor into the more serious parts of the letters, as when he says in 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 that previous letter, "Nor me," you know, in the in the in the margin. Absolutely. Um, but notice it's not just this, right? The story goes on getting a life of its own until the entire premise of the letters get turned on its head, right? Originally, again, you send a letter to Father Christmas saying what you want, and he's sending a letter back to sort of acknowledge the receipt of their letters and everything. Look at how the 1932 letter starts. There is a lot to tell you. First of all, Merry Christmas. But there have been lots of adventures you will want to hear about, right? Let's get a, let's get the Merry Christmas out of the way and get right to the adventures, right? Um, it all began with the funny noises underground, which started in the summer and got worse and worse. I was afraid an earthquake might happen. And then, of course, this is the story of the Great Goblin Invasion, and we end up in the caves, right? Um, but again, it's now the whole Christmas context, present thing... Purely perfunctory, right? Totally pro forma. It's all about the story. Um, and in fact, next year, it's even worse. When they get their, their early letter, that this is the December 2nd, right? Their acknowledgement of your letters letter. Dear people, very cold here at last. Business has really begun and we are working hard. I have a good many letters from you. I have had a good many letters from you. Thank you. I have made notes of what you want so far, but I expect I shall hear more from you yet. I am rather short of messengers. The goblins have... But I haven't time to tell you about our excitements now. I hope I shall find time to send a letter later on. We get a teaser in the 1933 letters, right? Right. The goblins have... But I'll tell you more later, 
right? I mean, it's the way that he's now stringing them along in the stories. This is what I mean when I say that the stories have taken on a life of their own, um, and the whole thing has been kind of, um, has been kind of inverted now. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's super cool. So again, I think this is, you know, I'm not trying to say that this is, you know, we must take this as a model that all of Tolkien's stories, uh, you know, sort of grew this way. I'm not trying to make that argument. Um, but I, this is, I'm trying to show you why I think, uh, the Father Christmas letters supply us with such a, such a remarkable insight, such a remarkable example of the ways in which, um, his, uh, his, his, uh, stories kind of develop. Um, Trish, this is another good pausing point. I have a few other things I want to, I want to go on and talk about, but, um, yeah, I have two other topics I want to make sure I hit on, but I have time, uh, to pause here if you want to, if you want to jump in. Oh, gosh, it's just, I don't know why it's so hard for me to find that particular piece of the interface to unmute myself. <laughs> I'm having a really good time listening to all this, and so, you know, it's like, I just, so anyway, but I'm much more um, organized than I was. I've, I've, the drawing winner has been chosen, so you can go do your number thing if you want to hand me back the uh, screen, and oh, I sure. will remind people what our what our prizes are here. Let's see here. Um, uh, okay, there so you go. So you don't have to do it. You, you don't have to do as many things this time around. Right, right. As last time. Okay. So, to remind you, the choices you have, if you are the winner of this drawing, is Father Christmas, uh, the letters, uh, letter from Father's Christmas letter. I, this is the, uh, I'm pretty sure it is, the uh, edition that Corey's talking about. I have this myself, and it's got all the letters reproduced, and it's, it's just a great, it's a thin book, but it's really fascinating. Um, and then we have the 500-piece puzzle, <coughs> designed more for families at, at holiday time, put together a puzzle, get into fights, you know, that kind of thing. And then the very cool polar bear hand puppet. So those are the choices. And our winner is... Where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Our winner is Rena Gao. Oh, gosh. There we go. There we go. Rena Gao. Rena Gao. Congratulations. And uh, so just send us an email, info at signumuniversity.org. And let us know which one you want and what your mailing address should be that we can send it to. And congratulations. That's awesome. So have I done enough patter for you to, to get caught up on numbers? Absolutely, yes. We are, uh, well, actually, okay, uh, no, I actually have some confusing numbers to do. <laughs> so I, I will, I will keep an update on the, on the donations for next time, I think. I, I should. Okay, have, that sounds good. That sounds put good. Together yes. There. Um, and uh, uh, Denise, we're actually uh, drawing from attendees today, so yes, it's yeah. a random. We're using a random number generation generation generator, and um, and drawing from. You have to be present to win. That's right. Um, and you don't get counted if you're here twice. You don't get counted twice if you're here twice. Some people use. Some people sign in <laughs> on their computers and their phones, you know. But we're wise to that. That's not why they do it. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that's what we're doing. All right. Well, I will let you get back because I'm engrossed myself and I don't want to waste any time any more time with prizes but we'll be back with a number update uh, next time right excellent yes yes um okay uh let me sorry let me get back here I just think the uh the the the, the little uh, uh Paxu and 
Valko took a uh, puppet thing is just adorable. Um, uh, okay, good. And we're back sharing screen. And okay. All right. Okay. So the next thing I want to focus on is uh, some of the ways in which he is interacting with his children during the course of this um, um, during the course of this series of letters. Um, I mean, of course, like he's interacting with the children all the time. Um, but I, one of the things that I find really interesting are the ways in which the the ways in which we can see him interacting with the interests of his own children, and even, I would say, cultivating, even sort of shaping the interests of his children in particular ways, I would suspect. Um, let me give three examples of this kind of thing. First of all, you will notice that uh, we have the, the reference to the presence that his sons get. Um, what do we know? What do we to, uh, of, of the presence that his sons receive... What are the things that get mentioned? I can only remember two categories of things that his sons get. Does anyone remember any of his sons' presents? It's a quiz. I'm giving a quiz at this stage of the uh, of the class here. Anybody remembers? We actually have uh, have seen them both already in letters that we've done in class. Exactly, Caden, you've got them both, um, and Mark. Good, good. Yeah, bricks. And trains, right? Bricks and railway stuff. That's the that's the stuff that we see his sons asking for in the th- uh, those that is the evidence that we get through Father Christmas's response. We of course don't have the text of his sons' letters to Father Christmas, which would have been cool too. Um, but um, but anyway, so we've got we've got blocks and railway stuff. Now, who else likes railway stuff? Or I should say, to ask this same question in a different way. What is the primary reason that railway things are often less available from Father Christmas Christmas than they might otherwise be, right? Um, why is it that uh, that that sometimes there just aren't so many railway things to go around? Exactly, Mark. Uh, as Mark Ingram says, because goblins like them. Absolutely. Goblins sneak in, and they always make a beeline for the railway stuff, the goblins, right? Notice the kind of double edge of that particular comment, right? On the one hand, this is why I can't give you, I don't have more train things to give to you, right, my children, Um, because the goblins stole it all. Darn nasty goblins stealing the railway stuff that you could have gotten. But at the same time, it's... um, Hey, uh, you share an interest with goblins, <laughs> right? The goblins like railways just like you. Huh. And uh, it's not that I necessarily think that he's trying to, uh, 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 you know, kind of comment on this. You know, he's trying to make his sons feel bad for wanting railway things. I don't think he's necessarily telling them, like, only evil, hideous creatures uh, uh, like goblins like railway things. But it's nevertheless a kind of an interesting thing. I mean, Steve, as Steve Hawley points out, uh, the presence, especially the railway thing, seems kind of odd. I mean, given Tolkien's antipathy towards modern mechanized stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's actually less, uh, 
you know, if you look over to the course of his letters and things, he's much less negative about trains than he is about uh, air, cars and airplanes, for instance. But, but yeah, I mean, you, it's. I mean, uh, Humphrey Carpenter says that Tolkien was uncomfortable with the railway things that his sons were kind of obsessed with. Um, uh, but um, anyway, I. I um, I do think that that's one interesting thing, you know, whether there's something subliminal there or whatever, I think it is kind of interesting that we have a, in this way, a kind of a gloss on your desire for railways, you know, just a kind of a, you know, just keep in mind, you know, it's what goblins like too. Um, but the two positive ones are the one, the examples that I find much more interesting. Um, that is the, the, the moments where we can see him actively, um, Cultivating, as I said, ac- actively encouraging some of the uh, some of the particular interests of his children, and first, of course, is the linguistic stuff, right? Um, all of the stuff about how, for instance, North Polar Bear includes a snippet of Arctic, right? The language, his own native language that they speak up at the North Pole. Um, and, you know, so they're given a sample of what the Arctic language sounds like, and the North Polar Bear invents an alphabet based on the goblin carvings that they see, and he writes a coded message for them to figure out, um, and he doesn't give them the key at first, right? He says that he, he'll send them the key if they ask for it, but he's wanting them to figure out the alphabet based on the thing that he's written them, right? So he sends them this puzzle, he sends them this challenge. Um, and who is it, of course, that he's primarily interacting with this? Who is it who... Uh, who which of the Tolkien children sends away to North Polar Bear to receive uh, uh, sends a follow-up letter to North Polar Bear to receive a copy of the alphabet? Christopher, of course, it's Christopher, right? Um, who seems chiefly interested? The one who, in fact, does go on to to lecture at Oxford uh, and to study linguistics, and of course now to be editing all of Tolkien's papers and everything else. It's little Junior Christopher uh, who is sending away to the North Polar Bear for the uh, for the for the Goblin alphabet, and who is interested to hear more about Arctic uh, and all that stuff, right? Um, so, so I, I, and and the way in which, especially that business with the Goblin alphabet, you know, the way in which he's being very active in encouraging them, not just saying, hey, I'm saying this, I'm talking about these things because you're interested in these things, but I'm going to challenge you to grow and to think about this. Um, and my favorite example, even more favorite than the linguistic example, and of course those of you who know me well will not be surprised that this is my favorite uh, example, is the rhyming. Um, this is much later. This is 1938 now. Um, so Priscilla is now the, the, who was his youngest by a good bit, uh, of his four children. Um, it's Priscilla who is the primary audience of these letters. Um, and she seems to be interested in writing rhymes. Um, and so Father Christmas does the rhyming and let's, let's, let's look at the rhymes. The commentary, the marginal commentary, of course, the bold words are from North Polar Bear. Again this year, my dear Priscilla, when you're asleep upon your pillow, bad rhyme, that's beaten you. Beside your bed, old Father Christmas, the English, the English language has no rhyme to Father Christmas. That's why I'm not very good at making verses. But what I find a good deal worse is that boys and girls' names won't rhyme either, and bother either won't rhyme neither. So please forgive me, dear Priscilla, if I pretend you rhyme with pillow. She won't, says North Polar Bear. Um, uh, yeah, um, 
As I was saying, beside your bed, old Father Christmas, afraid that any creak or hiss must... How's that? He asks in the margin. Out, says North Polar Bear. Um, what's happening here? What do we see going on here? Uh, notice how he's gone beyond simply... My daughter likes rhyming poems, right? She likes to make rhymes. So I'm going to make a bunch of rhymes for her, right? It would have been cute. It would have been cool. It would have been suitable for him to have said like, hey, Priscilla likes rhymes. Father Christmas is going to do a verse letter this year, right? And get it all in poetry. That would be cool, right? That would be really neat. But that's not what we see, right? In fact, we get um, we get much more than that. What do we get? Do you notice? what we get here? Why is he writing bad rhymes? Because they are bad rhymes. And if you just read this, if you just read this, that is, ima- imagine in some really bizarre world, the letters from Father Christmas were the only thing by Tolkien you had ever read in your life, right? You would read this section, right? You would read these these lines of poetry, and you might think to yourself, Man, this guy stinks at rhymes, right? I mean, this guy really shouldn't write poetry because that's not good at all, right? Um, uh, yeah, Karita calls this How to Not Write Poetry by Father Christmas. It does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? But of course, you have read Tolkien before. Uh, and if you have both read Tolkien before and hung out with me for any amount of time, you've thought about the poetry in Tolkien, and I hope noticed that Tolkien does in fact know how to write poetry, and in fact, uh, you know, doing rhyming and uh, and thinking about the length, I mean, it's, it's not just the rhymes that are not very good, but the length of line is uneven. Um, uh, you know, to Father Christmas, that's why I'm not very good at making verses, but what I find a good deal worse is that girls' and boys' names won't rhyme either. They're awkward lines, right? And they sound clunky. Their rhymes are really, really forced, right? Um, but that's not how his verse is. That's certainly not how it always is. Why? Why is he doing this? Kate... I agree with you exactly. Kate Neville says to instruct and encourage beginning, right? Bad rhyme. That's beaten you. It's a challenge, right? Your name is Priscilla. What rhymes with Priscilla, right? Pillow doesn't really work, right? Can you come up with a better one, right? Um, uh, you know, how's a hiss must rhyme with Christmas, right? Out, right? So, see... Sarah Lagarde has got one, right? Gorilla, that works. Why not? <laughs> Better than pillow, anyway, right? Um, but again, it's this is, I think, what we see going on here. And the commentary in particular, um, and not just the commentary by North Polar Bear, but that interaction, right? How's that? Out, right? We have not only the making of rhymes, but the critique of rhymes being sort of modeled uh, uh, in this... Letter, right? And uh, I, it seems to me, a kind of um, a kind of challenge uh, to Priscilla um, to say, "Now you try, right? Can you do better with this?" We've got the you know the big bracketed section in the middle where Father Christmas is commenting on how difficult it is to formulate rhymes, right? This is not a poem which says, "Here's an example of rhyming for you," because I know you love rhymes. 
this is a this is a poem about making rhymes because that's what Priscilla, Priscilla doesn't just like to read poetry she likes to make rhymes and that's what this is about and this is this that's what this is helping her do i think this is that's why this is my favorite example of the ways of him interacting with um uh with um the the with with his kids and of course i can't forbear to give my favorite example of of course right after this later on in the letter the north polar bear of course takes over and shows that he's really good at rhymes right absolute rot i have not got a pain in my pot I do not eat turkey or meat. I stick to the sweet, which is why, as all know, I am so sweet myself, thou th- you thinuous elf. Goodbye. He means fatuous. This is, of course, Ilbereth, the scribe, uh, who is going back and forth with uh, North Polar Bear here. No, I don't. You're not fat, but thin and silly. Uh, I love the thinuous is a marvelous word um, uh, when a thin person uh, is be- is being fatuous, but you can't use the word fatuous, so you call him thinuous. See the uh, the, the 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 verbal cleverness uh, and, and ingenuity and playfulness of North Polar Bear. Um, uh, so um, anyway, it's um, there's there's um, a really cool. Uh, trend here. And again, we, we still have the comments, right? Rude fellow, he means fatuous. The, uh, the, he means fatuous clearly serves as a gloss, right? Because she's probably not going to understand what the word thinuous means exactly. That's kind of a riddle, that word all by itself, right? Um, but again, the fact that North Polar Bear 2 is picking up on this and showing a different model, right? Um, with the, notice the, 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 the patterns in his rhyming are different, right? We've got the three rhymes in a row. The line, of course, is much shorter. Absolute rot. I have not got a pain in my pot. Um, which, uh, it's the, the, the structure, the, the, the frequency of the rhymes and the shortness of the lines reminds me a lot of, uh, the cat poem, uh, from, uh, from the adventures of Tom Bombadil. Um, Ah, very good. Uh, both Chris Miller and Tom Hillman have more examples. Uh, 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 Tom Hillman uh, says that uh, scintilla rhymes with Priscilla. Also very good. And Chris uh, Chris Miller's uh, example. Chris, I think that yours is the most challenging example to work into a decent poem uh, is, of course, Attila. Um, so uh, there you go. That would be that would be that, that would be even harder than Gorilla. To integrate into a into a regular poem. Um, so uh, anyway, anyway, uh, uh, Luke Bauer wants to uh, Luke, Luke Bauer wants to cheat and um, uh, and say instill uh you know as two words. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, uh, there you go. Flotilla, good Jeff. All right, excellent. Chinchilla says Eve. <laughs> Very good. Villa, yes, yes, Tina. We could, we, 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 we could, we could go with Villa. Um, Godzilla, also Luke Borisi. But you see, see how uh, how his feeble vanilla. Both Patricia Minger and Sharon at the same time recall vanilla. Um, possibly the easiest one of all to work in. Um, but uh, but you see how Tolkien's and I I don't believe for one second that um, uh, I, I I don't believe for one second that Tolkien couldn't think of a rhyme for Priscilla right that none of those words that you all just came up with occurred to him and so pillow is like his genuine best effort at um, at rhyming with Priscilla I don't believe it at all. Um, 
So, uh, um, yeah, I doubt Chris, he would have thought of armadillo as, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that is more of a Texas thing. Um, but anyhow, anyhow, um, I, I, it's, it's, this is sort of inspiring. Now, you know, Carolyn Morehouse is, is, uh, sort of complaining that is, you know, it's kind of bad pedagogy, right? To, uh, um, to, to, to you know, she says it's often a bad idea to show bad examples to children since they'll tend to follow, uh, the bad example. Yes, Carolyn, but that's exactly why, where I think North Polar Bear comes in, right? That is to say, um, the, f- uh, there's no chance of her thinking that Pillow is a good example because North Polar Bear isn't going to let it go. Right? Bad rhyme. That's beaten you. Notice, see, see, the first comment by North Polar Bear gives the critique, right? That's a bad rhyme. The second, uh, comment by North Polar Bear, um, delivers the challenge, right? That's beaten you. Oh, you can't come up with a rhyme for Priscilla, can you? I bet nobody could come up with a rhyme for Priscilla. <laughs> that seems to me, uh, to be how this works. Um, well, the last thing that I want to talk about today, I, I could, I, I just, I just love these bits. But the last thing I want to talk about is sort of the more, uh, the more serious. Um, uh, oh, why? Wh- sorry, I, I one pause for a second. Kate Neville just made a wonderful comment. Uh, Kate Neville points out that it also prepares her for crit- for critiquing, right? North Polar Bear and uh, Father Christmas are good friends, uh, and they admire each other very much. But the North Polar Bear is still very critical. Right. Um, so if somebody says, no, that rhyme is out, right, that doesn't work, um, it, it's okay, right? Um, we, we need to be prepared for that. And I think that, Kate, that's a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting idea. But okay. Segwaying to the final and, uh, and sort of more serious topic, uh, that I want to address, though, of course, teaching your children is also a sufficiently serious topic. And that is the interaction between the later, the later letters and World War II. Um, this, of course, is a is a very uh, is a very prominent um, uh, uh, topic. A lot of people like to focus on this because, of course, it's it's uh, it's it's sort of a, a rather obvious interest. Naturally, World War One doesn't really come in because we've started after World War One, right? Uh, we, like Tolkien's family, have started after World War One. But uh, when we get into World War Two, we see lots of lots of interesting things and in how Tolkien handles that with Priscilla primarily, uh, is, uh, I think, really interesting. Um, okay, 1935. He says that we have not seen the last of the goblins, in spite of the battles in 1933. They won't dare come into my land yet, but for some reason they are breeding again and multiplying all over the world. Quite a nasty outbreak. But there are not so many in England, he says. I expect I shall have trouble with them soon. Okay? Um, isn't that fascinating, right? Goblins are multiplying, are breeding again and multiplying all over the world. So if you hear that bad things are happening and things are breaking out, notice he has given sort of a fantasy element to all of this. Is that escapism? No, of course. Needless to say, I'm thinking about the terms that Tolkien introduces in, on fairy stories here. Is he encouraging his daughter into escapism? No. But he is giving her a way imaginatively to understand uh, what is what is going on? It re- encourages her to relate differently to all of these stories of war. Um, 1938, three years later, the goblins, you'll be glad to hear, have not been seen at all this year, not near the pole. 
But I am told they're moving south and getting bold and coming back to many lands and making with their wicked hands new mines and caves. But do not fear, they'll hide away when I appear. Now he's making rhymes for her, right? Again, but anyway, um, notice what he says here about the goblins. And notice how much better his rhyming is and how much more mellifluous his his lines are when he's not doing that pedagogical thing. Um, The goblins have not been seen at all this year, not near the pole, but I am told they're moving south and getting bold and making with their wicked hands new mines and caves. Um, But do not fear, they will hide away when I appear. Um, Yeah, so, um, again, we have this, uh, don't worry, you're safe, right? We can see, sort of peeking through this, the fears of his daughter, Right, and his desire to reassure her, and the fantasy context in which he is reassuring her. Um, one thing that I don't know of, and if there's a if there's a reference in any of Tolkien's papers or biographies that explains this that I'm forgetting about, let me know. But I don't recall any evidence for. the level of deception involved. That is to say, at what point do Tolkien's kids know that it's their father who's writing these letters, right? Um, is there a time when they are originally actually deceived, that when they're under the impression that this uh, that this letter has actually come to them from the North Pole? And is there a time at which they cease to be uh uh, deceived about this, you know that they that they know that it's actually their dad. They continue playing along and and they still enjoy the game, but they know it's their dad who's doing these letters. Um, and if so, when is that moment? Um, and, you know, and when is it for the, the different ones of the children? You know, when does it come for Priscilla? When does it come for Christopher? Um, I don't know. I, I I've never seen anyone say that. Um, and at least again, I can't remember. If I have, and I often am forgetful of these things. So again, if anyone knows, tell me. Um, but, uh, but again, this passage makes me think of that though, because, um, I, uh, um, yeah, Mark, there are references to John and the other boys no longer writing, but that's when they're getting older. Um, there seems to be a, a cutoff age, right? At which you don't hang up your stocking anymore. Um, and it's, I, I don't get, I, I, that doesn't seem to me to be sort of like the moment of uh, um, the moment of 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 disillusion, right? Um, yeah, Kate Neville says if they're like my family, Priscilla always knew, but it didn't matter. Yeah, Kate, that's one of the things exactly. That's why this made me think of it, right? This letter to Priscilla in 1938. Um, if uh, if the secret has been kept from Priscilla, not only by uh, Tolkien but by her brothers um, for her whole life, that's surprising. A little, uh, rather surprising, I would think. Um, so again, what I'm coming back to is the uh, "but do not fear, thou hide away when I appear." Um, sounds a lot like the reassurance of a father to his daughter, right? Um, but of course, it's not just the way in which he kind of overlays what Priscilla has been hearing about wars breaking out and, and, and trouble coming um, in the world around her, the way that he overlays that with this sort of fantasy level um, uh, and inviting her again to, a, to sort of interact with it imaginatively in different ways. Um, but 
it begins to work itself into the story too, right? I love the evacuees. Of course, you remember, you remember, uh, most likely that during World War II, during the Blitz, uh, lots of things, especially lots of children, uh, were being evacuated from London. This is, of course, the premise of the beginning of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Which we've already mentioned, um, that the Pevensey kids have been evacuated during the Blitz, and that's why they're off in the country at, uh, at, uh, Professor Kirk's house. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. I wonder what you will think of my picture. Penguins don't live at the North Pole, you will say. I know they don't, but we have got some all the same. What you would call evacuees, I believe. Not a very nice word. Except they did not come here to escape the war, but to find it. They had heard such stories of the happenings up in the North, including a quite untrue story that Polar Bear and all the Polar Cubs had been blown up, and that I had been captured by goblins, that they swam all the way here to see if they could help me. Nearly fifty arrived. The picture is of Polar Bear dancing with their chiefs. They amuse us enormously. They don't really help much, but are always playing funny dancing games and trying to imitate the walk of Polar Bear and the Cubs. What happened here? What do we, uh, um, what do we see? What do we see in, uh, in, in this story about the penguins? The arrival of the evacuees, you know, the the penguins from the South Pole. Good. Caden says it's the first actual mention of the war. Yes, I believe that that's true. Um, he is he is acknowledging the context. This is 1940, right? Um, now, uh, notice one thing. He is um, uh, he is. Explaining that the any story, you know, that there have been rumors that uh, polar bear and the polar cubs have been blown up, right? Like the Blitz has reached the North Pole. Not true, right? Don't worry, everybody is safe up at the North Pole. In fact, the, and remember, goblins. There haven't been any goblins in the North, right? Um, so the the one message that he repeats here again, which he has been repeating, is, "Don't worry, the North Pole is still safe, right?" Father Chris, Christmas will go on. No matter what's happening in the world around you, no matter how frightful it might seem as the war begins to... Christmas will go on, right? Father Christmas is undeterred. Father Christmas's house is unblown up. It's uh, it's unaffected. We also have, of course, even the fact that the parallel with evacuees, of course, he goes on to say um, they're not actually evacuees, right? It's not like the South Pole is being blitzed and they've come up to the North Pole for safety. But even by comparing them to evacuees, notice how that emphasizes the safety of the North Pole, right? Uh, yeah, they're like evacuees because what could be safer than Father Christmas's house, right? Don't worry, Christmas, it's totally secure. Um, this thing, the letters from Father Christmas you've been receiving, you know, the, the Christmas tradition, all of these things, the presents that you're hoping to receive... All of these things are safe, and they're going to keep going on, right? Um, our life will not be completely disrupted. All of the good things uh, from your life are not going to be drained away because the war is going on, right? Um, it is so safe up at the North Pole that evacuees could be sent there. Uh, if the, So if the South Pole were being blitzed, that would be fine. It also does show, show, as Kate Neville points out, unity between the poles, 
right? Um, we see the polar bears and the, uh, and the, and, and the penguins banding together, right? And, fi- and forming, a, you know, new alliances, not military alliances to war against the goblins or anything unpleasant like that. Um, but new friendships, right? That, that, uh, that, you know, one of the consequences of this has been, has been new friendships. Um, and, um, and, and, and what's more, you know, we see again the, the, the positive motivations that are being ascribed to the penguins, right? They've come not to escape the war, but to find it. Well, in what sense? They've come not as reinforcements, right? They, this is not, uh, this is not like the D-Day of the penguins arriving <laughs> in Normandy. This is instead, this is a, this is a, 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 a this is a mercy effort by them. Right? They heard that some people might need help, and so they've come all the way up to see if they could, if they could help, uh, Father Christmas and, and, and polar bears. But it turns out, of course, they don't need help, because the North Pole is safe, and don't worry, Christmas will in fact go on. Um, and we see this in, um, in 1941. Uh, we see this, uh, even more clearly, of course, as the war is continuing and looking really bad. Um, I expect you remember just some some snippets. I expect that you remember that some years ago we had trouble with the goblins, and we thought we had settled it. Well, it broke out again this autumn, worse than it has been for centuries. Ah, so the war has, in fact, come to the North Pole now. Let's think about the implications of that. We have had several battles, and for a while my house was besieged. In November, it began to look likely that it would be captured and all of my goods, and that Christmas stockings would remain empty all over the world. I have not time to tell you all the story. I had to blow three blasts on the great horn, Windbeam. It hangs over the fireplace in the hall, and if I have not told you about it before, it is because I have not had to blow it for over four hundred years. Its sound carries as far as the north wind blows. All the same, it was three whole days before help came. Snowboys, polar bears, and hundreds and hundreds of elves. But bang went all the stuff for making fireworks and crackers, the cracking part, for some years. The North Pole cracked and fell over for the second time, and we have not yet had time to mend it. Polar Bear is rather a hero. I hope he does not think so himself. I do, says Polar Bear. Um, but, then continuing on, but of course he is a very magical animal, really. And be nota bene says says the North Polar Bear. Take careful note uh, of this comment. Um, NB might be perhaps my favorite uh, uh, gloss of North Polar Bears. There, this th- that particular moment, most understated, most evocative. Um, and goblins can't do much to him except when he is awake and angry. I have seen their arrows bouncing off him and breaking. Well, that will give you some idea of of events, and you will understand why I have not had time to draw a picture this year. Rather a pity, because there have been such exciting things to draw, and why I have not been able to collect the usual things for you, or even the very few that you asked for. Christmas hasn't really come to the Tolkien house this year, as far as presents are concerned, right? Um, So notice in that sense, this whole long letter is another one of those sort of explanatory letters. But you notice the differences now? Notice how the war parallels are developing for the Father Christmas story. The initial versions, right, 38, 39, we're getting the North Pole is inviolate, right? Don't worry because the North Pole is safe. You don't have to think that the entire world is being consumed by war, that everything is coming crashing down, that nothing good and bright and fun is going to happen again. Um, 
don't worry, it's so safe that the penguins are, 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 you know, the penguins are coming there and finding that it's super safe. It's so safe that they could have been evacuated there. Now we see war is breaking out, right? Now we see that, um, the goblins are, um, uh, the goblins have invaded, and in fact his house is besieged, and I trust that you will see the parallels, um, between Father Christmas's house and England here. You know, you know, the, the goblins are at the door, right? The house is besieged like the island of Britain was besieged. And, um, uh, and, and, and there have been, uh, there have been casualties, right? There have been, the, the North Pole has been smashed like so many things, um, got smashed, uh, in, uh, in World War II. And, uh, Kate and Neville, I absolutely agree with you. We do have in the midst of this all, however, a war hero, a war hero, right? The North Polar Bear. Um, but fortunately, you don't have to worry about the North Polar Bear because he's a very magical animal and, like, the arrows bounce off him and break. You see the, the fantasy story here? Um, Priscilla has three brothers fighting in the war. Um, it, it, it's, it, you know, Ed Christopher is in South Africa right now with the RAF. Um, in, uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, the fact that North Polar Bear is now a war hero, um, and one whom you don't have to worry about because he, uh, um, uh, because he is safe from the arrows of the goblins. Uh, when they shoot things at him, it, 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 it just bounces off. Um, again, this is not, uh, this again, I do not believe to be escapism, um, but rather a way for her to sort of process, a way for her to escape. Not, you know, this is not escapism, but it would certainly be an escape for for young Priscilla here, um, who is doubtless very worried about her brothers, about her family, about the country, and whether the Germans are going to break through. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. And Caden, you're right. There is a real reason this time. Um, uh, you know, Caden says in the letter, there aren't many presents because of the war. In reality, there aren't many presents because of the war. Uh, you're absolutely right. The, um, uh, the, the, um, the way in which the excuse actually matches the reason, right? The reason that the kids weren't getting so many presents in the twenties was not, in fact, because a polar bear had caused uh, cave in and snow to come down and melt down into the cellar and, and destroy. But this is, um, uh, this is, as you say, Caden, the reason given is almost the real reason, right? Um, and, and the way it's invoking her imagination is very different from the way that the boy's Im- uh, imagination was being invoked back then in the twenties. Um, yeah, yeah, Denise Kelly says, I agree it's not escapism, it's very sobering in retrospect in an attempt at serious processing of very real fears. Um, yeah, yeah, Luke uh, Bohr adds, rather than escape, it offers an avenue to approach and think about war and conflict, but in safer terms. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Kate Neville is thinking of uh, polar bears, a parallel to the Avengers. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, as this sort of superhero in time of war, right? Um, yeah, it's like you've got Captain America and you've got North Polar Bear, right? Absolutely. Uh, that would be a great picture, actually. Captain America and North Polar Bear. Um, um, uh, two, well, two more letters I want to look at, but, um, um, we do, 1942, right? We're continuing through, uh, 
uh, through through the war years here. I have had to guess what you would like. Wait, what does that mean? I have had to guess what you would like. What just happened? For the first time, as far as we know, for the first time in 22 years, what happened in 1942? Priscilla didn't write to Father Christmas. No Christmas list was sent to Father Christmas, right? Um, yeah, exactly. She, this is now, you know, keep in mind that in, um, in, in the last year she didn't get any presents, right? Does this mean she's given up on Christmas? Is it just that things with the war are such that that's not, also Kate Neville points out there's no paper either. Yeah, that was a major paper shortage, uh, during w- World War II. So yes, that's certainly, um, that's, uh, that's certainly a factor too as well, most likely. Um, but anyway, he, 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 he hasn't gotten his letter. I've had to guess what you would like. I think I know fairly well, and luckily we are still pretty well off for books and things of that sort. But really, you know, I have never seen my stock so low, or my cellar so full of empty places, as Polar Bear says. I am hoping that I shall be able to replenish them before long, though there is so much waste and smashing going on that it makes me rather sad and anxious, too. Deliveries, too, are more difficult than ever this year, with damaged houses and houseless people and all the dreadful events going on in your countries. Of course, it is just as peaceful and merry in my land as ever it was. Um, again, we we can see even more clearly the connection. Caden, the link that you are pointing to, right? Things are, things are, 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 are you know, presents are in low supply because of war in the North Pole, Presents are in low supply for Priscilla at home because of war, uh, you know, from her parents. Um, we see that parallel in a sense continuing here, right? Um, but, but it's not paralleled in the story anymore. That is to say, he's not saying things in the North Pole are reflecting conditions in England. And my house is parallel to the Isle of England, you know, as it is being, uh, to the Isle of Britain as it's being, uh, uh, as it's being besieged. Um, instead, you know, we've got conditions closely parallel, and certainly in the the, the lack of uh, paper stock, which is why uh, books are books are hard. But he's pretty well off for those still. He says, um, deliveries are hard because of all the smashing and all the things, all the the houseless people and and dreadful events. But notice, he doesn't um, he doesn't shift the um, uh, he doesn't shift the story into paralleling England anymore. Now it's shifted back. Of course, it's just as peaceful and merry in my land as ever it was. Right? I am... Things are fine up here. Um, So you notice what that means? Now... um, Now... The parallel works encouragingly. I won't say prophetically, because I'm not trying to say that he's actually doing prophecy or anything, but... um, I uh, last year we were at war. We were besieged by goblins. Um now everything is peaceful and merry, right? It has passed and all is well. Um and maybe it will pass and all will be well for you as well. And again, at at the least you can remember in the midst of you know, Britain under siege, you can remember that in the North Pole at Father Christmas's house, it's just as peaceful and merry as ever it was. Kate Neville says very appropriately um, that uh, his letters have reached the level of consolation. 
um, yeah, consolation again in the in the um, in the on fairy stories um, since um, the final letter. This is the end, um, and this seems to be the chronological end. Uh, Fourteen seems to be the limit of when kids hang their stockings up, um, and Priscilla's turning fourteen here. A very happy Christmas. I suppose you will be hanging up your stocking just once more. I hope so, for I have still a few things for you. After this, I shall have to say goodbye, more or less. I mean, I shall not forget you. We always keep the old numbers of our old friends and their letters, and later on we hope to come back when they are grown up and have houses of their own and children. My messengers tell me that people call it grim this year. I think they mean miserable, and so it is, I fear, in very many places where I was specially fond of going. But I am very glad to hear that you are not still really miserable. Don't be. I am still very much alive, and shall come back again soon, as merry as ever. There has been no damage in my country, and though my stocks are running rather low, I hope soon to put that right. Openly expressed hope for the future, right? Now that encouragement, which was only implied in the previous letter, is being openly offered. Um, very glad to hear that you are not still really miserable. Don't be. I am alive, and I shall come back soon, as merry as ever. And notice here, there is, I think, no hint of... If I, if somebody tried to tell me, if somebody says, I have evidence that Priscilla at the age of 14 still didn't know that there was no such thing as Santa Claus, and she still believes that this letter is coming to her straight from the North Pole, I would not believe you. <laughs> I would take a lot of convincing if somebody tried to tell me that that's the case. Um, I, I'm, and again, as Kate Neville says, it's really hard to keep the youngest kid, uh, from knowing the secret behind these things. Um, uh, but any, but anyway, uh, I, just from the internal evidence of this letter, I think it's, um, you know, this reads most like a father's reassurance, um, to his daughter. Um, and, and the way in which this, this is, you know, I, but still being um, being worked through, um, you know, it, it's 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 working through the fantasy stories, right? I am still alive and shall come back soon, as merry as ever. Um, anyway, I'm um, I, I am uh, I, I I think it's a, it's a fascinating place to end, and of course, and it's it's so tantalizing, right? That I mean, it ends when she turns 14, so we don't get the end of World War II in the story of the Father Christmas letters, right? We never find out what happens at the North Pole um, after uh, afterwards. Um, but, uh, you know, so of course, just as for the same reason that these letters are sort of frozen in time and he doesn't get to go back and revise, uh, so too we, uh, you know, the, the ending of them is is sort of absolute and there's no sequel uh, to the Father Christmas letters. Of course, we could have the, the like, grandfather Christmas letters, I suppose, um, but we don't seem to have those. So uh, anyway, I need to uh, to wrap up. Uh, Trish is going to be so proud of me that I've ended on time even a little bit early as I was shooting to end a little bit early here. Um, and for those... I am Truly impressed. Truly impressed. Yeah, I got to 1943 by 1:50 p.m. <laughs> and I would just like to point out for all of you regular Mythgard Academy attendees, notice I got through 22 slides today in like an hour and 40 <laughs> minutes with pledge breaks. So I bet you, I bet, I, I bet you hope you betted the over today. Is, is what I had to say about that. 